Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning, and always an honor and a tremendous privilege to be afforded the opportunity of being able to share um, in God's Word. Thank you very much, Dave and the worship team, for leading us in those beautiful, meaningful, and thoughtful songs of praise and worship. Um, and thank you to Jackie and to JP and the team um, that always seeks through what you do to, as it were, usher us into, into God's presence. So when Cray contacted me about two weeks ago to um, share this morning, um, because he was first of all going on leave, and as we are aware, is on assignment this morning, um, and in this midst of the season of vacation for many of those who are involved in the in the education field, and um, we know people taking the opportunity to take a bit of a break, um, a well earned break. Um, yeah, uh, I think at the time he also shared with me that you know since we are not focused on a particular theme um, at the moment. Um, a series um, that we often would engage in, um, left it up to me to share whatever I believe the Lord was laying on my heart. And I said to Craig, you know, very recently, because of the discussions I've been part of um, on social media and other places, um, amongst ministry colleagues, you know, and, you know, in this climate that we find ourselves in, um, especially around, you know, uh, how people view the vaccine, um, the vaccines that are being rolled out. I said to him, you know, I, I honestly feel I want to preach on the mark of the beast, you know. <laughs> um, actually, seriously. <laughs> because I, I remain perplexed, you know, and sometimes a bit dumbstruck by, you know, some of the things that is being said, you know, and yeah, you know, I, I do not believe that, you know, the vaccine is the mark of the beast, you know, and so I felt uh, I, maybe need to, I maybe need to speak on that and preach on that, um, but, but no, you know, um, as much as what that was, it was really on my heart and my mind, uh, maybe some other time the Lord would allow me the opportunity to do that uh, and just to share, you know, uh, what this issue is um, in Scripture. I think recognizing where we find ourselves, um, especially as a church, at this point in time, and I think we are all aware that um, Craig and Cindy are seeking the Lord's face um, in seeking to understand the Lord's leading and the Lord's guidance and what it is particularly that the Lord wants them to do and how they should respond to this call that has been placed before them by another local church. And so that got me to reflect and I, I believe to be led to speak on this topic that I hope might be helpful um, to, to all of us um, and maybe even some of us, as we also as a congregation, wrestle with this idea. And so my message for this morning, um, and I went through a few variations of what exactly to entitle it, but um, I ended up with, with this topic um, tied, uh, 
title for the message as getting to grips with the core. Getting to grips with the core. And I want to approach this topic this morning and hopefully my reflections um, upon God's word and around a particular text that I'm sure is a very familiar text with all of us might help us as we as a congregation, as individuals, also grapple, you know, um, with, this, with this topic and this understanding of the call. And I want to do it in, in three little sections this morning as I share with you. Um, and I want to share it under the headings, the topic of the call, the text of the call, and the testimony of the call. The topic the text, and the testimony of the call. Getting to grips with the call. First of all, then, the topic of the call. The Bible, we know very well, is the definitive testimony and revelation of God's purposes and his work for time and eternity. We view the Bible, the scriptures as we call it, as being very, very important. It is fundamental, it is foundational to everything that we do and everything that we believe. And the, and the Bible is a, is a fascinating book. Um, we know that ultimately it is the Holy Spirit of God that moved many different human authors to contribute to the formulation and the writing of this book. So, so there are a number of different human authors that were involved in the composition of the Bible. We also know that the Bible reflects history. It, re, it reflects a history of development because it was written over, over many different years. We, we also know that there's a sense in which the Bible is telling a story, a, a drama that unfolds over thousands of years of human history. But it is a storyline that ultimately stretches from eternity to eternity. The Bible has been written in a variety of different writing styles, genres as we sometimes call it. And it was written within a particular cultural setting. Um, in fact, there is a number of cultural settings that is assumed in the Bible. However, the Bible essentially tells one story, yet it incorporates and develops a number of different themes. Now, one of the ways that I have found and that I want to share with you today to appreciate these many themes of the Bible um, is through developing what we call and using the methodology of what we call biblical theology. And what that simply means is this, that when we read the Bible, we identify the different themes that there are in the Bible, and then we trace those themes as they develop through the different books of the Bible. And in doing that, we discover often that there are so many different lessons that there, that there is to be found in the Bible as we, as we grapple and as we, as we study and as we seek to understand this theme that we identify within one book and how it develops into another book um, and as we work our way through the entire Bible. And there are lessons that we are able to learn from that. Some of the major themes that we are able to identify in the Bible are themes like covenant, 
Themes like salvation, justice, the kingdom of God, judgment, and there are numerous major themes in the Bible. And in between these major themes of the Bible, there are also many different minor themes. And it is many of these minor themes that you will often discover um, serve as what you might call catalysts, you know, like in a chemical reaction, a catalyst is there to facilitate um, the possibility of these different chemicals of being able to, to react or to maybe mix my metaphors um, as a thread that draws together different pieces of material into one garment or uh, into, into a tapestry. And these, these minor themes are sometimes even the byproducts of some of these major themes that we find interspersed between the major themes of the Bible. In fact, one of these minor themes is actually the theme of the core. So let me very quickly give you an insight into what I would like to call a biblical theology of the core as the Bible seeks to develop this topic. You see, we start right there in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 from verse 27 to verse 28, we have what I would like to call the Adamic call, the call of Adam to Adam and Eve. Um, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 and verse 28, God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. What God is doing through that command is actually calling them to work. Before the fall, take note of that. You know, some people feel like the, like, like the curse is work, but, but that is not true, you know, because the call to work happens before the fall. All the fall does is to make work laborious. It makes, makes it tedious. But what God was doing through calling Adam and Eve was calling them to be stewards of his created order in terms of what we call, generally call, the Protestant work ethic. And let me pause right there and to say, you know, if there's a lesson even there for us to understand, it is this, that the call is not just for those who have been called to what we call vocational ministry. Those who are called into what we sometimes say full-time service. The call is a general call to everyone to understand that no matter what we do, no matter where the Lord has called us to, what our work might be that we are doing, if we view that in the light of the Adamic call, then we need to understand that being a follower of Christ means that no matter what I do, I do it with a sense and with the purpose of fulfilling the call. Then there is the Noahic call, Noah. You know, this person who had to spend 120 years of his life to build a big boat, you know, so that the Lord could save um, Noah's family and, and some of the animals of this world um, from, from, from the great flood. It was essentially a call to obedience. Then we also know of the Abrahamic call in Genesis chapter 12 from verse 1 to verse 3, where God calls Abraham. He calls him out of the Ur of the Chaldees. In fact, he first called his father out of the Ur of Chaldees. And while they are in Haran, while they are settled there, God places his finger, his hand upon Abram and he says to him I have a purpose for you I have a task for you you are going to become the father of many nations 
And out of that, there were various elements to that call. But you know, Abraham's call is a very important call because, because as it were, it sets into motion this relationship that God was building with this people called Israel for the purpose of bringing many into God's kingdom. Then there's also the priestly call. And yeah, I want to identify the person Samuel. You know that story very well. While he was there, you know, serving in the temple with Eli, a time that the voice of God wasn't heard as often, Samuel hears the call of God, and his call is to become a priest. In fact, Samuel stands at a very important intersection within biblical history as being the last of the judges, the first of um, a, a whole range of prophets who would be priests, but the one who facilitates... God's purpose in appointing the first kings of Israel. Then there is the Davidic call, the call of um, a leader like David to, to become a leader of character. There is the prophetic call, the call that God placed upon people to speak truth to power. There are many different prophets within the Old Testament. You know, we know of the major prophets, we know of the minor prophets, you know, the books that we have in the Bible, you know, but there were many other individual prophets, you know, that did not write books, but they, 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 they served as prophets. And what marks each one of them as a prophet was that they were called. You know, you read many of the prophetic books of the Bible, and you will see they start out with what we call a call narrative, where at some point in time, God would call the prophet through various circumstances. We go into the New Testament, and we see that there is the discipleship call. You know, that when Jesus went about his ministry, you know, he said to the disciples, come follow me. I will make you fish for people rather than fish for fish. You know, and so there's a sense in which we all know that, that there's the culmination of the call in the Bible for each one to become devoted to the teachings of Jesus, the discipleship call. There is the general gospel call to embrace the grace and the salvation that has been granted to us through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Then there's also the missional call. That we who have been called, all of us who are disciples, to disciple others in terms of everything that Jesus taught and everything that he did. You see, following this theme through the Bible, we come to this understanding that we are able to, uh, to, to define what a call is. You see, there's a general dictionary, Oxford Dictionary type understanding of call. You know, you ask anybody out there in the street, you say, what does it mean to be called? And they will say something like this to you. Well, it's this strong urge that sometimes one feels to follow a way of life or in terms of, of your career or maybe even in terms of a task that we feel we need to do. But you see, in biblical terms, the call is more than just that strong urge. In fact, there is a sense that if we take all these different streams, all these different um, wavelengths of light, as it were, of what is different calls within the Old Testament, you know, and you bring them together and you shine them through that prison, you, you see that they all converge in the New Testament into this understanding that the church is a people who have been called. 
You see, the very Greek word that was used in the New Testament to describe the church is a word that you have heard um, being used many times before, the ecclesia. What does that word mean? It simply means those who have been called out. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 describes that calling to us as a church as being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. There's a convergence in the New Testament of every aspect of the call into the church. <clears throat> and so Romans chapter 1 verse 6 can describe, can describe us as those who are called to belong to Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 14 um, describes us being called to salvation. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, that we are being called to his purposes. And so in summary of that, we as a people, as a church, we are called to live according to the call as all of these aspects find the focal point within that to which we have been called to be the church. So I therefore would like to define the call as follows. <clears throat> the call of God. The call of God is the gracious initiative of God to bring us to him to participate in his purposes. The call of God is the gracious initiative of God to bring us to him and to participate in his purposes. Now let's turn to the text. There are many texts, as I've hinted at, that speak to this divine methodology of the core. And one of the most definitive and most compelling is that well-known text in Exodus chapter 3. If you have it, I, I invite you to turn to it, and I, let me read through some of these verses in Exodus chapter 3, and I'm reading from the New English Translation. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. And this is also known by the other name, Mount Sinai. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not consumed. And Moses thought, what kind of magic is this? No, no, that, that, that's not in the text. Sorry, sorry. Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. God said, Do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. He added, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. <clears throat> I have heard their cry from lockdown 
because of the taskmasters. No, that word isn't there, but that's effectively what they were experiencing. For I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up from the land to a land that is both good and spacious, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the region of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hevites, and Jebusites. And now indeed the cry of the Israelites has come to me, and I have seen how severely the Egyptians oppress them. So now go, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh so that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He, he replied, surely I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that I will send you when you bring the people, of e when you bring the people out of Egypt and they will serve God at this mountain. Let me stop there, but I want to encourage you to continue to read that chapter even into chapter 4. You see, I think most of us, if not all of us, we know the life of Moses. And it's always amazing to me how the early life of Moses in Egypt turns out to become the preparation of him to become one of the leading spiritual leaders within Bible history. When you follow the life of Moses, you will see <coughs> you went from being a purposed orphan to a privileged prince, then a peasant shepherd onto a powerful liberator and then a pioneering leader. All of that because of this Dramatic burning bush encounter. And let me say this. Indeed, sometimes a call can be very dramatic. It can be out of this world. It can be magical like it was for Moses. It can also be dramatic as it was for the Apostle Paul while he was on the road to Damascus, if you read his story in Acts chapter 9. But you know, sometimes... Um, it also happens over a period of time. You know, take, for example, the prophet Jeremiah. You know, when you read of Jeremiah's call, you will see that his call began while he was in his mother's womb already. And how, as a prophet, he was dragged, kicking and screaming to fulfill his call as a prophet. Moses lived on this earth, the Bible tells us, for a period of 120 years. And indeed, and indeed his life could also be divided into three phases, like I'm dividing my sermon into three parts. As one preacher put it, for 40 years Moses was somebody for whom it took another 40 years to discover that he was nobody. And then it took another 40 years for him to discover that God can take a nobody and make them into a somebody for him. I like the way in which Henry Blackaby, and there's going to be a little picture that's going to appear on the screen. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with 
um, the study that Henry Blackaby has put together called Experiencing God. I know that PBC in its own history a number of years ago used the Experiencing God study of Henry Blackaby. You know, that, that, that kind of is designed to help us to determine the will of God, you know, to know what, what is it that God is calling me to. <clears throat> and, and there are seven realities or seven principles that Henry Blackaby explains that, that I want to say is very useful and there's a, there's a sense in which it is a summary even of this experience that Moses had, you know, and he's got this picture within these seven realities, you know, of what we might call a burning bush experience. But the seven realities basically follows um, like this, and let me read it for you. He says, number one, God is always at work around you. Number two, God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Number four, God speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances. You know, and there's a number of other things that I think we could add in over there. And the church <clears throat> to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. Number five, God's invitation to you is to work with him all and is to work with him and always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. Number six, you must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. And number seven, you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. I find that a very helpful um, way of understanding and almost summarizing what this text is all about and what it's seeking to teach us about the core. You see, it is therefore very vitally important that we acknowledge that we are a people who are under a calling. We have been called and that we have to pay careful and close attention to its implications. You see, while there is a general sense, a general call, there's also a specific call. But as I said right in the beginning, it doesn't matter who you are, you know. And so while I am one of those people who have responded to the call of the Lord to vocationally, you know, make ministry in my life, we all need to understand that God has called us. No matter where we find ourselves. You know, if you ask my wife to share a testimony, she will tell you when she was very young, she felt the Lord calling her to be a missionary. Now she's never, thankfully for me, you know, ended up on the mission field, you know, somewhere out in Antarctica or somewhere. But you know, where she finds herself right now, teaching at the school, for her, that is a mission. And so indeed, Lloyd, as you are involved in the medical field, that is a special calling that the Lord has placed upon you. If the Lord has called you to be involved in the business world, Dave, that is a calling. You know, whether it's governance, um, um, hey, Jonathan, you know, that is what the Lord is calling you to do. Whether it's taking photographs, you know, uh, no matter what it is that the Lord has called you to do in life, if it is something that you're doing to his glory, you have responded to the call. But sometimes the Lord does call us to lay aside everything. Is that not true, Adrian? And sometimes we have to dedicate our lives to his full-time service. But you see, the call is something that can also develop over a period of time. 
as we begin to understand more and more of God's activity and where he is graciously calling us and allowing us to fit in. And so to end off today, I want to share the testimony. And that's my own testimony. See, I grew up in a Christian home for which I'm very grateful for. And I first heard the call to become a Christian 27th of November 1981. Coming towards the end of my primary school career, going into high school, felt that I was transitioning into what was developing in my head as my third career option. I remember the very first career I ever wanted to participate in was to be like Jesus, to become a carpenter. I was then introduced in primary school to one of the very first home computers, the Commodore 64. (laughs) And I felt, wow, this is amazing. I want to become a computer programmer. I want to be the person, you know, who manipulates this thing to do all kinds of tasks. I fell in love with science. And so entering into high school, you know, I took every course that I could find in science because I felt I wanted to be a scientist. I wanted to be a physicist. But you see, even that led me to a crisis of faith. Because being introduced to science and evolutionary biology in high school, you know, I started asking that question, you know. So where exactly did Noah fit T-Rex into the ark, you know, and those kind of stuff, you know. So it wasn't just a religious crisis of faith, but it was also a political crisis of faith. Because as a young person growing up on the Cape Flats, I was battling to understand how people can use the Bible to defend apartheid. And how many of our pastors, you know, were just ignoring the issue. So those were difficult years, 1984, leading into 1985. But just following my water baptism in 1985, that there was kind of this turn around where I, I felt that, you know, maybe I needed to do something more. And I remember it was at the age of 17. I felt a very distinct and a powerful urge to study theology. You see, I was, I was deeply involved in the church at the time. I was a Sunday school teacher. I was a youth leader involved in many different things. I was even the musical director, believe it or not. Um, I directed two musicals that our, that, that our youth performed, and one of those musicals, you know, we, we, we experienced what I can only describe as a visitation of God in a revival at our local church. That is something I've never seen before again. And it was amazing to me how through that experience and people looking at my life, people started bothering me with the question and they started asking me if the Lord was not maybe leading me into ministry. In fact, there were some that were actively pursuing me. I even had the leader of the WOW team make an appointment with me coming into my home and saying, you know, why don't you join the WOW team? I had the leader of the covenant players, you know, that was a group that that would act Um, Christian sketches and they traveled the world coming to me and saying don't you want to join the covenant players but my decision was Lord call me later 
Not now. Of course, those unrest years on the Cape Flats messed up my schooling. You know, so it's very difficult to prepare for university when for almost a year you become your own school teacher because there was no schooling happening because of the unrest. But the Lord graciously allowed me to, after a working gap year and having to improve my maths mark to take on university physics and to find the money to go and study, the Lord graciously supplied both. And so off to university I went to study science, but deep in my heart, I knew that I was like Jonah, boarding a ship for Tarshish when it was supposed to go to Nineveh. I struggled with the call. I resisted it. I made many excuses and laid out numerous fleeces. I wish I could tell you all the stories, you know, of, of well-known evangelists, you know, people that, that, that were deep, sincere Christians, you know, that was there at our church. And I would sometimes say to the Lord, you know, if that person were to come up to me right now and say, young man, you are called, I will go. That never happened, but amazingly, when I shared the story with my pastor, my pastor told me the story of how those people said to me, that young man over there, the Lord is calling him to go to study theology. It's amazing to me that the Lord was so gracious. And so I had to take that costly decision of dropping out of university to go and work again to pay back a bursary to the Department of Education and then to trust the Lord to pay for my seminary career. Throughout my ministry experience, it was growing into the core and understanding that it was that God, what was God wanting me to do? For me, it developed ultimately into theological education, into what many would see as the pinnacle of becoming, you know, of reaching a stage in your, in your career and in your calling of becoming a seminary principal. Wow, you're now able to guide others in getting to grips with their own call. And humanly speaking, it was very comfortable. You know, being in this type of ministry function that could continue for me right into my retirement. But like Moses, surprisingly to me, I found myself tending my father's sheep, otherwise known as seminary students, and my burning bush. Was a hospital bed at Vincent Pilate a few years ago. And once again, I had to wrestle with a score. Suddenly, Amazingly, I felt like Neo in the Matrix Reloaded in that corridor after he, after he found the key master. In a corridor where there were all these doors, some of these doors were shut, some of these doors were open, he could open the doors, and, and it was like all these opportunities were coming my way, and I, and I wasn't sure what to do. I even said to the Lord, Lord, even if it means you give me a new and a fresh vision for what I'm doing here at seminary, then please let it be that. But I'm feeling this urge. I'm feeling the strong feeling that there is something else. 
There were even others who tried to coerce me, I felt, into accepting other ministries. In fact, I came this close to accepting a call that would take me up to Joburg. In fact, praise the Lord, I didn't do that because I would have been stuck in Joburg. My wife would have been down here in lockdown. It would have been an absolute disaster, I think. I felt truly honored until eventually the Lord led me to do what I'm currently doing. The point is this. I turned out to turn some down while I had to accept following the path of other potentials. I therefore have great sympathy for those who have been called to vocational ministry and understand something of the tension and the struggle our pastor is currently experiencing. For even I said, Lord, if you want me to remain where I am, let it be, let it be with a renewed vision and energy. You see, friends, the call means that we are called to something, but also for something. We are called to God, but sometimes also for God. Jackie. Thank you so much, Lindsay. Let's just sit with that for a bit. Let's just give Holy Spirit time to speak into our hearts. We have heard Moses' story, Jeremiah's story, Lindsay's story. I believe God is speaking to you about your story this morning. And before we rush off and greet, I just want to give you a chance to hear what God is saying to you about your call. Maybe some of us have to repent of believing that, that you don't have a call. And others do, but not me. And that's not true. God has a call on your life. Maybe some are wrestling, as Lindsay said, shared how he fought against the call. I have a picture of Jesus welcoming you to come and sit on a bench like in a park like just come sit with me let's just chat and maybe that's for you this morning stop being busy rushing and greeting Jesus as you walk past but go sit on the bench hear what Jesus has to say to you it's time to stop avoiding that hard conversation with Jesus
maybe some of us are are in that crisis of faith where there's a step of obedience that feels scary, where there's a letting go that's required. As God said to Moses that I am with you, I just want to speak that as a blessing over anyone who's feeling that sense of crisis about what what is required of them, the cost of following Jesus into, into the call. And maybe you are grappling with God or chatting to God about something I haven't even mentioned. But I just want to pray for us now that, that what we've received this morning will not be lost as we walk out the door. That what you've received today is precious. I would love you to picture a time when you've bought something that's very valuable. Maybe a piece of jewelry for someone or a very expensive phone or it doesn't really matter what it is, but that sense of, of guarding it close until you get home and can put it in a safe place. But do that in your heart with what God has given you today because the word that he's spoken to you is more precious than gold. And don't, don't let it be left behind as something that's not valuable. It'll transform you because it comes from the King of Kings. Jesus, we thank you that you do call us into friendship, into freedom, into healing, and into partnering with you. And I pray blessing over us as we go from here this morning, that we would be ones walking in step with you as we go into this week. And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.